guys, welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week, for the first time in a long time, I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, MK. Hello, what's up? Hi. This is weird when I can see you. you like? I know. So, some context. We typically record over Skype, and because Skype is hot trash, we typically turn off. Uh, we typically turn off the video, and we typically don't do things like hitting the table in the background while we're trying to record a fucking podcast because we like to pretend to be fucking professionals, MK. <laughs> She's doing the Homer Simpson double fingers at me right now. This is the level of professionalism that I have to fucking work oh, with on a day Oh, day I'm sorry. Which one of us was, like, singing on here in the first try and also, <laughs> like, told a story about, like, her relationship with, like, the taco cart man, Carlos? You're making it sound disgusting. Carlos and I have a very pure friendship based in carnitas. Um, yeah, I, you're just not helping. I'm I'm keenly aware of this. Guys, it's been a long time since uh, the two of us have been on an episode together. In our defense, um, at least 90% of this recent long dry spell has not been on us. It, we had simultaneous synced computer issues, which we realized in retrospect were simultaneous synced computer issues pertaining to the fact that we were both trying to upgrade our systems to El Capitan. So, like, don't fucking do that, Mac OS users. Don't do that. Because um, in my case, it bricked me for a little while. In MK's case, it bricked her entire hard drive. Yep. Yep. It's the soul bond is strong in us. Like, it's so strong, it goes to technology. I know. It's It's not just uterine issues. It's... Line. Yeah, it's on the web now. So, oh my god, I'm thinking about you know this is a good way because I'm thinking about another episode of the X Files, specifically the one where they find a lady plugged into a computer in the trailer. This is after you stopped watching the show, though. That's for the best. Okay, so MK corrected me. MK corrected me after our X Files episode where I slandered her by saying. That she'd only ever seen one episode of The X-Files. She actually endured multiple seasons of The X-Files. And she bailed halfway into what is actually my one of my favorite episodes of The X-Files. How is that one of <laughs> your favorites? The face she's making is so good. Because it's so scary. Um, One, yes, it is so scary. But two, it is like way too close to like shit that could happen for me. Like I can't handle that. How? I would, I would like you to explain... How the episode of Home is it all close to anything that could happen to you? Have you ever, just to give our listeners who, just to give our listeners some context who, like, have not watched the series, Home is about, like, a creepy, like, multi-generational incest family on the outskirts of a town where, like, an, a woman who lost her arms and legs in a car accident, the mom, uh breeds children with her sons and she's kept on a pallet under her bed mk please explain to me how okay so for one thing i've spent a great deal of time in rural ontario like rural ontario so rural like villages not even towns okay villages um and you meet people who sound and look like, exactly like the people in this episode, and who have always terrified me. Like, my whole life, I would, like, go up there to the middle of fucking nowhere, and it would be people with, like, three teeth and a crazy, like, American accent from the South. And I was like, this is not okay. Um, two, when I was, like, ten, 
not even 10. I don't know. I was young. My brother was like, I'm reading this great graphic novel series. You should read it. He's six years older than me. He was reading Preacher. I don't want to say anything else about that. Don't read Preacher. Just, just don't. I was like, I can't, I can't, I'm out. Anyways, the point is, the point is, MK has seen quite a bit of the X-Files. Um, not just the episode Home, which is great, guys, which is great. Don't let her fear, like, steer you away from the show. Don't but watch it that did, shit. Uh, it did spark, it sparked the first segment of our show this week. Yes. So, let me just start by saying, I've listened to the whole episode, and you guys are fucking liars. <laughs> You make that show sound like it is like <laughs> three people having a good time with like some conspiracy <laughs> theories and like, I don't know, hilarity ensues. No, that's not what that show is. That is the show that like when I moved into my apartment made me terrified that like a man would crawl in in like snake form through my vents and like murder me at night. Like it's mostly terrifying all the time. Stretch. Yeah, and it was disgusting. And then, like, a while after that, I tried to watch Fantastic Four, and I was like, the villain of this is the hero of Fantastic Four. Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> and baffling. So, yeah, don't make them be like, oh, X-Files is just, like, a fun, airy-fairy ride into, like, the FBI and shit, and, like, I don't know, politics. No, I'm not watching the new episodes. You shouldn't watch the new episodes. Everything they said is a lie. Yeah, you should see the look on Prue's face. She's just, like, shaking her head at me. She won't it's even it's, I me. love the show. I love that stuff. Like, the creepier, the more grotesque. Like, oh, so good. Uh, so good. I have, like, zero tolerance for, for creep. It's like, it's, like, my thing. But, I mean, like, as we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode, like, I have my own, like, areas where I'm just, like, full weak. Like, oh, I can't do it. I'm going to burst into tears. Like, that sort of thing. Like, I can't do it. But the X-Files is, like, in my sweet spot of like the type of horror that I can handle. There's like almost no horror that I can handle. Yes. However, that was not the reason we were talking about the X-Files. We were talking about how (laughs) our, our, so if you skip the X-Files episode, me, Hoyden and Zenik has spent a really long period of time talking about how, even though we love Mulder and he is very pretty in a brooding 90s male lead sort of way and was like very much a sexual awakening um he's useless he is like kind of a disaster human being and can't do anything and would immediately die of exposure (laughs) without dana scully to kind of like pull his life out of a flaming dumpster but uh, getting on that topic kind of sparked like a really interesting discussion of what was the term you were referring to them as, MK? I thought it was really prescient. Empty vessel men? <laughs> Give us a description. What's an empty vessel man? An empty vessel man is a man who like, there's not a lot to him. There's not a lot of substance. He's really just like a place in which you put your romantic feelings and he is there to hold the romantic feelings for the duration of the show. Yes. Um, And the... The best example that I think we came up with is Tuxedo Mask in Sailor Moon. (laughs) He is. Well, I think it's important to, like, it's important to say that, like, when you are young and watching Sailor Moon, you thought he was I thought he was the most romantic. That was, like, pivotal for me. Like, I was so into it. (laughs) 
did the realization come in that tuxedo mask was actually just like like literally this week today this afternoon on my way home thought about him that hard right like he's there he's wearing a tuxedo he's got roses and shit like he dies for her that's great whatever but like if you think about it what do we even know about that fucker oh my god what's happening (laughs) like i had never thought about it before because he just wasn't important like he's romantic and you can like build a romance around him but like literally other than that what does he do he doesn't have any cool arcs i mean I don't know. Like, I always hated that show because I thought that, like, of, you know, like, kids are willing to buy a lot of really stupid shit. Yes. Like, kids love dumb stuff. Like, I have strong memories of being a child and liking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, like, I'm not going to get into a fight with, like, still Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans, but, like, that is a stupid concept. And... As a child, I thought that was, like, fucking genius. But, like, even as a little kid, I remember what... Well, like, first of all, like, to be fair, Sailor Moon was never going to be, like, my show. Like, essentially, I watched... It's not for you. No, it's not. It's 100% not for me. And, like, I watched Sailor Moon, and literally my only thought was, like, all these fucking people are useless other than Rey. No! Like, I... I, like, so closely associated psychologically and emotionally with Sailor Mars. It was, like, unbelievable. I was like, you assholes. Like, if I could actually set shit on fire, I would burn all of you motherfuckers down. Like, are you shitting me? Like, who are these useless klutz social incompetence I'm no. surrounded by and predestined to have to hang out with. No, I rewatched that shit as an adult and I love them. I love all of them. I love them so much more than I did when I was a kid and I like appreciate them more. And like you could talk to me for like literally a week straight and it would not be enough. I'm fully aware of that considering the fact that we were in Japan for two weeks together and everywhere we went was like, a bingo search for, like, Sailor Moon swag. I've been waiting for that my whole life, and there was, like, nothing out because the new show wasn't out yet, and you don't know how disappointed I was. Like, we have to go back. I mean, I'm there with you. I, like, we did not go to the creepy sex floors at that weird store we were in because I think Hoyden... There are a lot of creepy things we didn't do. I know. I think Hoyden was like, I don't want to go up there, and I was like, okay, I guess we won't go up there. But this time, we're going to go up there, and we're going to go to some more, like, haunted shrines. I'm up for that. Uh, we totally met Kitsune at that haunted shrine. I'm still not. Yeah, we did. I Nobody know, I'm, like, fully otherwise. convinced that we absolutely like, met Fox Spirits. But we were super polite to them, so I think we're okay. We were. We were great. We were, I think we were, we're very okay. respectful and well-behaved, so I do not believe that we are cursed. But anyways, back to Empty Vessel, guys. Mulder's definitely... Yes. I don't know if he's, like, quite fully Empty Vessel, but he is very much, like, the scales have fallen from my eyes. Like, with the benefit of 15 years of age, I'm like, oh, man. Like, I would fuck you, but you couldn't talk. Like, essentially, is what it boils down to with Fox Mulder. Yes, yes. And then, um... You're like, shh, don't speak. Some, <laughs> just just don't speak, Mulder. Face. Just shh. Yeah. So there's that. There's Tuxedo Mask. Yeah. Other really good examples are all, like, the Disney guys, like... They're mostly there as a prop for the princess. They color coordinate with you, which is very yes. important. Um, and 
the other major one is romance novels. Yeah, absolutely. Because in romance novels, the dude is really almost like a step towards whatever else the woman is trying to achieve, right? Like the woman always has other problems at hand. And the dude is just like, you know, you put your romance in him, but also he is like a way to get out of whatever shit situation you're in. Absolutely. And I mean, like, the other thing about this that I think is really interesting is this is not to say all romance novel protagonist, male protagonists are interchangeable. Many of them are, though. Like, if I gave an extremely generic description, like, dark, uh, dark hair, slightly brooding, misunderstood, um, heart of gold, like, a rake, like, a rake, but somehow, like, has a terrible emotional weakness for you specifically, like, that covers a lot of them. You can think of, like, so many names. I think every single person in the Mallory series is like that. He's a thug with secret feelings, essentially. Yes. He is Eames. Yeah, yeah. Every romance hero is Eames, which suddenly, like, that makes a lot of sense why he had that role. Good. Yeah, and why that why that fandom was that fandom? That pairing. Yeah. And why it worked so well for all of us. We're like, Arthur is basically a romance novel heroine, so we're good here. Let's do this. Strictly contrarian. Buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful and, like, maybe a little underappreciated. All of those things that I like about him. <laughs> Not like I'm overly identifying with him. But I like him. So, that was... It, it was just an interesting thought, and, like, I'd never really considered, because I think that the other component of this, as we were talking about this earlier, is, like, oh, my God, is this what men feel like when they watch media for, like, most females? Like, they're just, like, so so disposable that they're literally everything is about, it must be how they feel. It's gotta be, right? Like, now when I watch TV shows, I'm going to be thinking about that all the time. I'm going to be like, oh, she's Tuxedo Mask. That lady is Tuxedo Mask. That lady is Tuxedo Mask. Well, it's like the one tweet that was going around when Jessica Jones just hit. That guy who tweeted, like, what the fuck is up with the show? Every single man on this series is either the villain, the romantic interest, or just I care. Oh, that's what women feel like. And I was like, yes. You, like, Congratulations. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the other side of the women's club. And it's definitely you know, an interesting one. If you know that like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of dudes watching that were just like, I don't get it. This is dumb. Yeah, I mean like I felt that way for other reasons. I actually enjoy Jessica Jones, but like I have some which we'll get into. We'll do like a Netflix Marvel episode coming up at some point. Yeah. Um not this week. But it it, it warrants a longer discussion than we have time for for this episode. Yes. Um but other things that we wanted to talk about uh, pretty quickly before we move on to a primary topic for this starter is um, some upcoming shows that we're looking forward to. So the first one that's weird that we're looking forward to is A&E's Danian, which dropped um, a full-length trailer just this week, I think. Yeah, one of my favorite things is like you tweeting out into the void that like somebody has to watch this with you because you're scared. And like I watched the trailer and I was like, yeah, that that looks creepy, but like I don't care, and I, you know, I'm not scared. Which like normally I'm terrified of all things horror, but I think I was just distracted by how beautiful Bradley James is now that his hair is blonde again. I was like, oh, he's blonde. So to back to to pedal backward a little bit, so we don't leave these people like flailing. If you've been wondering what the fuck has Bradley James been doing 
since he stopped being on iZombie. And those people stopped dyeing his beautiful blonde locks black for some godforsaken reason. Those fucking monsters. Unbelievable. He is working on um, A&E's, like, it's not like a reboot. It's like a television series sequel to The Omen, essentially playing a kid named Damien, who is the Antichrist. <laughs> um, only he's like a grown up now and he's a war photographer and he... From the preview, you sort of get the impression that he figures out fairly early on that he is, like, the son of Satan and is not, like, best pleased about it. Like, I'm so terrified of this. I hate horror movies. Like, I hate them so much. I hate all types of horror movies. I hate jump scares more than anything. Like, you, like, my high school boyfriend used to force me to go watch horror movies. Not because I was, like, good at, like, cuddling to him for safety. No, he was useless. But, like, my reactions to horror films are so over-the-top ridiculous that he would just, like, piss himself laughing. Like, he didn't stop doing this to me until him and his best friend, like, carried me out of my house and forced me to go watch 28 Days Later, which scared me so much that, like, I watch the entire like I spent most of the movie hiding my face behind his shoulder and I dug like a series of bloody welts into his arm because I was digging my nails into his like through his shirt so hard I was like scared for my life I hate horror movies I hate jump scares the only thing worse than a jump scare is like the dread like the pervasive sucking vacuum of dread so like I also, of course, got tricked into watching the original Japanese Ringu, which, like, fucked me up for a good solid month. I don't do well with horror movies at all, and I am not happy that I have to watch Damien, which is gonna mess me up real hard. So I have a very important question for you, obviously. Tell me. What is the question? You're gonna watch all of Damien. Yes. Right? And Bradley James is blonde in it. So much. But he is going to be terrifying. Very important. And he's a war photographer. Yes, he's a war and photographer. he's a war photographer. It's like, it's like basically whoever wrote the show was like, let's draw Bradley James a map to prove the giant. Yeah, like, okay. So they've created like, basically, your sex fantasy of Bradley James. Unfortunately, yes. Let's say that you had to sit down and watch, is it what, six episodes? Let's say you had to watch all of the episodes, whatever, in like one weekend. And then immediately afterwards, you had the chance to sleep with Bradley James. Would you do it? Or would he be, like, too scary for you because you just saw him be the Antichrist? I... Real talk on Slash Report. I would fuck him. I would absolutely fuck him. Because, you know, like, don't waste opportunity. When, like, gift slutty horses come, like, don't look them in the mouth. Trap them in your bedroom. Ride them straight to your bedroom. <laughs> Just ride them. Give them some rug burn. All of that business. His hair is like a nice grabbable length. Everything's working out here. Um, and like the other reason I would still fuck him is number one, so hot. Go ahead. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> number two. Is he coming as Damien or is he coming as Bradley? He comes as Bradley, however. You never know when he's going to break into Damien. No, that's mean. If he's coming as Bradley, I will also be coming with Bradley, and I don't give a fuck about the date. Yeah, but 
Here's the thing. We've seen Bradley James in the behind the scenes on Merlin. He's also a little bit of an asshole. If he knew that you were afraid of his character in Damien, you know that he would, like, bang you and then, like, gently put his hand on your face and, like, say something straight from Damien and, like, scare the shit out of you. This is so fucked up! Like, he would this just roll so up and be like... Up. This is, like, my only love sprung from my only hate. Like, this is so fucked up. He is sort of an asshole, which, like, makes him super sexually attracted to me. But, like, also, I'm so scared. Like, can you imagine, like, if we were just, like, sitting in bed and he suddenly did that? I would, like flip out and I would like barrel roll out of my bed into my fucking dresser and like break three ribs. Can you like just imagine that ER visit? I would have to be like I would have to be like yes doctor this is a sex accident because I refuse to explain how it actually happened. My understanding is that you have a show in America called like Sex Sent Me to the ER. That is correct. What if it was like an episode of sex sent me to the yard that was also like a promo for Damien. I mean, if it got me <laughs> like this is the marketing strategy. <laughs> this is terrible. No one listening to this needs to know this much about like <laughs> what I would what I would and would not do in order to bone Bradley James. And also, Bradley, if you're listening to this, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Whatever, this is valuable content. And Bradley's mother, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm triple not. sorry. Bradley James is probably like Bradley's mother. His mother would. I'm sure. Never I'm sure your son is a very nice boy. No, he's not. He's an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I whatever. I believe he would be fully on board with this plan. Let's move on. We have to move on. Another show that's coming up that I'm looking forward to is the upcoming Hulu miniseries called The Path. Starring um, Aaron Paul, I think that's his name. Aaron Paul um, from Breaking Bad, uh, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy playing mm. a cult leader. Oh, yes. So it's it's a it's a very interesting character swap from trembling, vulnerable, disaster human uh, Will Graham to charismatic, um, hypnotic cult leader. And the promos of it look really good so far. And there's definitely a part where he's, like, beating the shit out of somebody. So, like, I am already on board with this show. And if it's worth discussing, we will check back in once it starts airing in March. That sounds like something I'm not allowed to watch. No, MK is not allowed to watch anything that involves... All of that. Many things, <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. The list is pretty long! <laughs> like, you shouldn't watch the following. The list is... You shouldn't watch Dexter. Like, you're not allowed to watch Dexter. Anything that has, like, vigilante or cultism in it, MK is steering clear of. It's for the best of society. Agree. Agree. So after that completely, like, absurd opening, what is the actual primary content that we're talking about this before we get into our special guest for the episode, MK? Um, self-lubing, gaping assholes and the knots that love them. Okay, but before we get there... Before we get there, we have to talk about something else. We have to talk about the BBC Sherlock Christmas special. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry, that's not what you were going for. Right. Yeah, sorry. I literally forgot. Holy shit. This is, this is, actually, like, this is actually really indicative of that Christmas special. Though. Yeah. It was like kind of forgettable, but also weird. So fucking weird. So, like, hmm. 
I mean, before we start discussion, I must come completely clean about something regarding the Sherlock Christmas episode. And that is that I was baked out of my mind the entire time we were watching this. Like, I was so stoned. I think I may have been literally in the process of eating an entire pizza the entire time that we were, like, watching this episode. But I would argue that it did nothing but improve the experience for me. Because, like, I cannot, like, what the fuck was that episode? I mean, you're not wrong. I almost wish that I had been high when I watched it. I mean, like, what the fuck was that episode? It it was something. I just, I, do you want to give a really quick plot overview? I don't even know how to do this. Sure. Uh, so, it is a frame narrative. The outer frame is that Sherlock gets on the plane, and at the same time, this, like, video message from Moriarty goes out across the UK, the world, I don't know, a lot of places, and people are like, oh, shit, Moriarty is so basically real. basically the end of season three. Yeah. They're like, oh, shit, that shit's happening. The plane is, like, taking off. And then, it goes back, the, like, content is, uh, what, what is that, like, 1800s London? Victorian London. Is that the year? I don't know. Sorry, Victorian London, um, in which Sherlock is imagining himself as the Sherlock Holmes from essentially the novels. It's really fucking weird. Uh, and he is doing, he is solving the case of the Abominable Bride, which is about like essentially a ghost bride that is murdering men uh, who have wronged women. And through that, he explores, like, how he can solve whether or not Moriarty is still alive and how he is still, like, doing stuff even though he saw him die in front of him. Um, and also, he's super stoned during this, just like you were. Well, he took a mix, he took a cocktail of drugs in order to, like, essentially, like, he needed to go deeper, which he actually says a couple of times during the episode. So, like, he took a drug cocktail in order to, like, whatever access things and the episode is just like not good on so many levels like there are specific things about it that I really enjoyed but it was also I mean it was so incoherent like there were element like there were parts of it that when they were good they were so good like there were certain like the way that certain pieces of modernity snuck into the past and certain pieces of the past snuck into the present just as like as transitional elements and like do you remember midway through the episode there's that one moment where like Sherlock is talking with John and like the conversation gets weirder and weirder and weirder until there's that really hard smash cut and he's back into the modern day that was like one of the most effective moments of the episode like that actually felt really jarring because it went from like some it had established the scene so well and you were, like, actually engaged in the mystery. And then suddenly, like, the way that you might actually feel when you're emerging from this kind of trip, you were like, what the fuck? What am I doing here? And that was, like, so great. But, like, it also made the rest of the episode extra infuriating because you could see these moments that were really great. And you could see how this conceit could have been really well done. And instead, it was off, like... So off, and I have to say, like, Moffat and Gatiss's, like, attempt to make this, like, a feminist, like, anthem in this episode was one of the most excruciating things I've ever oh. seen. Like, I was so stoned. I was not stoned enough to, like, endure that. Like, 
that scene in like with all the brides was just like and his speech oh my god well the fact that yeah twitter blew up with ladies being like we didn't need sherlock to mansplain feminism to a room full of like victorian feminists thanks just unbelievable it's just like eight shades of moffat right there like that's classic moffat not understanding women and being like look at me i get women i'm the greatest at this oh i can't it was just so uncomfortable and like the writing was so bad it was just like so, oh so terrible like super super excruciating yeah um but there were components of it that i loved i really loved how they went for the victorian cast with gusto like I love the costumes. I love the reinterpretation of their rooms at Baker Street. Um, I loved, <laughs> I loved that there were certain like jokes that they leaned into. I love that. Uh, still, now that we've had two scenes with Mycroft and oh. Inspector Lestrade together, and they still have not said a word to each other, which has to be deliberate. But I also found it hilarious. I kind of loved that, that they were essentially digging a grave and like they weren't talking. And I was like, you're doing that for me, Marcatus. You're just like, you're, you're like riding this little shitty ship dinghy and like you and your five other friends who ship Mycroft and Lestrade get nothing. And I'm like, good, we don't need it. Fuck you, bro. They're standing next to each other. Fuck you. We can continue keeping this ship afloat. We'll manage. We're fine. We don't need you. I've shipped people who have never met. That is correct. You think that I haven't worked with Les? I've worked at with Les. At least these were on screen at the same time. I know. And Lestrade had his sleeves rolled up. Um, Did it stir your Victorian sensibilities? Yes. Um. So it was that. And the other thing that I really enjoyed about the episode was one sort of like poignant character thing, which was even in his dream, um, Sherlock's brain is telling him like have you made the list you must make a list and then in reality you find out where that comes from where essentially mycroft has like secured an agreement from him where he knows that he can't control whatever sherlock does but that sherlock has to make a list of everything he's taken and i thought that that was actually really sad and like very touching emotionally and felt completely tonally out of place with this other hot garbage mess that was in this episode oh Absolutely. But what I thought was really, I mean, yes, it's very sad and poignant, whatever. But for, you know, since the first season, we have used my crafting to like kind of jokingly, but also earnestly say that we are like worrying about each other because of that scene in the first episode. Right. And now you're like, oh, no, yeah. my crafting is like literally the worst thing in the world and very upsetting like that is i can't even imagine being like do you have a list of all the shit you took because you could die at any moment and i love you and i'm your brother but like you don't love me depressing so thanks thanks for that in the midst of all of this other shit i guess other shit i loved was molly molly was great in this episode yes yes right she makes like a pretty fucking fantastic we say that it's not really drag. I guess she's just cross-dressing, right? She's, like, cross-dressing in order to, like, have a job. Yeah, she's essentially cross-dressing to be, like, the coroner. And I loved how mean she was to Anderson. I love that she, like, was bossing him around like a bad bitch. I loved it. Yeah, she's large and in charge. I was into it. Yeah. Yes, but at the same time, 
I also, I just, it was such a mess. It was just like, it had some, like, I think in many ways, I'm more disappointed when something has glimmers of greatness than when something is just bad in its totality. I like the most infuriating is when something is mediocre. Yes. Like I hate more than anything when something is mediocre, but, um, when something is like balls out bad, like, yeah, that's, that's one thing. But this had like moments of really inspired stuff. Like, like everyone working on the show is talented, you know, like whatever you may think of get Moffat and Gatiss, like they're very good at their particular thing. Benedict Cumberbatch, good actor. Martin Freeman, good actor. Like, lots of really smart, hardworking people all throughout the series. And there were moments where, like, all of that kind of, like, worked perfectly. And then, but there were, like, nuggets of gold in the middle of this, like, stream of incoherent nonsense. And it just, like, made me so angry. I mean, it's so weird because, like, I love the first season of the show so much. I would argue that I also love the second season of this show so much, like the second three episode run so much. Um, the third season, less enamored by, still had fun with it. But this episode, this is the first episode of Sherlock that I like, like I've hated episodes of Sherlock before. Like I hated the blind banker because it was so racist. Yes. Um, I hated uh, the Irene Adler episode because it made no sense. But like, I could I could admire them for what they were attempting to do. This episode is the first one that I've actually been like super disappointed by, because like I had all of these high hopes for it being a really interesting Victorian interpretation, and instead it was just like kind of like mess. It was interesting because uh, when I watched it, sometimes if I watch something and. I mean, you and I have the same thing where we have to often be doing like 20 things at the same time. Like I can't just sit down and watch a show most times. Um, but if a show is good, then I will be doing something and just sitting there in front of the TV while I do that other thing and paying attention. But with this, I like left the room. I was doing laundry. I was like loading the dishwasher. Like I did all sorts of shit because I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. It's fine. I'm not really missing anything. Yeah. No, yeah. I completely agree. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what this means for the fourth season of Sherlock, but I do know that like when the sh when the episode ended, Marilyn had to tell me that it was over because like the thing ended and I was like, "What is that? It? That's it? That's fucking it? That's it?" I just like couldn't get over it. I was like, "This is just like," I was at a pizza. We had eaten all the cookies. I was like, "That's it? That was fucking it?" Yeah. No, I felt kind of the same way. I was like not oh oh okay it's it's just done sure i guess you sort of resolved something that you know i just feel like also when he when arthur conan doyle wrote the thing that like moriarty is dead but like um moran and like all of his network are still doing shit after he's dead and he has to like figure that out that they can like carry on moriarty's work and make it seem like he's still alive that was like really innovative at the time but yeah. now that's like super basic and it shouldn't have taken this much work for sherlock to figure that out so why even bother making this the frame narrative it absolutely doesn't make any sense i mean like honestly speaking like a really interesting way to kind of approach i don't know like if you really wanted to do an episode where, I mean, like, why not just go full Victorian? Number one, you could go full Victorian, 
Or you could, like, tell a whole new story that requires Sherlock to go deeper. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, there, it's not like there's a dearth of stories. And you guys who are writing the show are, like, clearly Sherlock fanfic authors. You can come up with something. Like, I loved this conceit so much. And I even loved the idea of Sherlock being the sort of reckless piece of shit who is going to, like, risk a serious overdose to do this sort of thing. But, like, I don't know. I, th- I just thought it was, like, so many wasted opportunities right there. And I, whatever. I will still watch season four of BBC Sherlock. But we'll see. I mean, like, maybe, uh, who knows? Maybe the magic is over. I'll still watch it. Oh, I think the magic is over. But it is, it's like you said, when I watched it, I was like, this is really just like lazy fanfic writing where I'm like, you had a great idea, but you applied it to the wrong situation or something, right? Like, these are like two or three different stories that you want to tell. And instead, you like threw all the tropes at one page. And I'm like, I love throwing tropes at a page, but like, you did it wrong. You absolutely did it wrong. There's a right and a wrong way to write tropes. And speaking of tropes, this is a good transition to our very special guest for this week. Um, So MK and I have heard your request and we've been thinking about this for a while. We really wanted to do an episode about Alpha, Beta, Omega fic, but if it was just the two of us, we would essentially be like talking into the void and it would be 90% MK giving me shit about Alpha, Beta, Omega fic. So we actually wanted someone who had a little bit more perspective on the episode. So we're super excited be joined by Nora Bombay, um, who has written a very well-read discourse on Alpha, Beta, Omega as a trope that's posted on AO3. And um, we hope you guys really enjoy this. Hey, guys, and we are back again. This time, in addition to me and MK, we are joined by our special guest, Nora Bombay. Hey, Nora. Hi. Thank you for overcoming various frustrating technical difficulties to come talk to us about this very important topic. Yes, there are a few things more serious and important than alpha, beta, omega dynamics. <laughs> well, okay, I I want you to tell the story that you told us before we started recording regarding the um, not at all stealth uh, clothing that you have related to So, this. I actually own a hoodie with the Greek letters <laughs> A, B, Omega sewn onto the back because I have no shame. And I have I have worn this in public. I have worn this to slash cons. And it's it's great because it it's the best stealth fandom thing of all time. Nobody knows what this is. You could just be in a sorority. And then there's somebody who gets it. Oh my god. So like do you do you get lots of interesting fanish attention when you wear it to these slash cons? I've I've gotten attention. Um Basically, everyone there knew who I was anyway, so it wasn't. Okay. It, it was sort of anticlimactic. Were they like, "Oh, that's the nodding lady"? It weren't just. Like, it weren't just like. Yeah, there weren't like not hungry fangirls like, "Oh my god, you wrote the thing." I I think the place I got the most second looks was I went to a uh, Sherlock convention and I didn't know anybody there particularly. That oh was um, people kept looking and just kind of squinting. 
So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Squint and head tilt. So to back up a little bit um, before we get fully swung into our conversation on this really interesting and rapidly developing trope, part of the reason that um, we really wanted Nora here for this conversation is you have probably seen her writing on this topic because she wrote something on AO3 called Alphas, Betas, Omegas, a Primer, and it is like... I, I'm checking this because I suspect that this is true still, but I just want to like verify before I start saying it. It is. It is. Yeah. It's the number one, um, by sort by hits on Hannibal, um, the show, if you are on AO3 and I'm pretty sure it's probably really high up there in a lot of like page counts for a lot of these other fandoms that are tagged in it. And I was like, Oh my God, we have to get her. She's the closest thing we have to like a fanish academician on fucking nodding. And this is just such a great moment in our lives that we're here now recording this for posterity. Well, for the sake of posterity, I will note that um, I wrote this roughly the same month or so I quit grad school. So <laughs> this is literally my master's thesis. It's only 10,000 words. How dare you? I know. Nora. Dare you? <laughs> but it has charts and it has graphs. And at one point, I was working on a PowerPoint. Uh, <laughs> what, I, mm, I, I need to know. I have to ask. Why did you stop working on a PowerPoint? Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of really good imagery for it. Um, I mean, you could put generic pictures of fandom people, but there's not a lot of specific ABO imagery. And at a certain point, I'm not fucking Googling for pictures of semen. What? Yeah, accurate. Okay. That is true. <laughs> that's my entire approach to I, all of this. I'm not Googling. That's on like semen. a very that's that's a completely legitimate response to life. Yeah, I just figured that you would have like a bunch of bullet Google points images. and beside each like block of bullets, it would be like, you know, nodding dildos. <laughs> yeah, the there was at one point I also was going to do a uh, visual aid in which a couple of Coke cans and silicon <laughs> pieces were put together to try to illustrate the trope, but um, <laughs> A, I'm a terrible photographer, and B, you could just go to, like, the Bad Dragon website and save yourself a lot of work. Yeah, there we go. Yes, yes, you could. Do They've not done go it to the Bad lighting. Dragon. Do not go to the Bad Dragon website while you are at work or in public. <laughs> or near your family. Do it in the dark, alone, ashamed, <laughs> the way that you should be when you're on the Bad Dragon website. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Omegaverse is meant to be a no-shame zone. You know, uh, that is definitely a topic that we're going to get to. But before we get to some of, like, the more interesting sort of meta around the trope, can we let's talk about how you got interested in it. Well, I had been hanging around um, some of the Internet's finest and non-communities in the summer of 2012. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm. And um, I think I actually think Supernatural Permanon was still kicking around. But either way, in that way that you do, it was a weekend. I was drinking. I was anonning. And a friend of mine said, Nora, what the hell is this? And I'm like, why do, why do you think I know? Why, stop looking at me. Why do I know? <laughs> and so I just did a little more research, uh, admitted I'd been reading a lot of it, and started up on the primer because there really wasn't anything and i love finding the source for tropes like i love sentinel and guide au's yes. 
And you would never realize that oh in theory, God. it sort of has something to do with a TV show from the 90s that wasn't very good. And so I'm like, there's there was no source for this. And so I wrote the sort of initial history of what this was and where it came from, which is pretty much J2 Impreg. Go ahead. Nice. Um, so that was going to be my follow-up question in your research. What do you, like, if, as far as you can tell, where do you think it comes from? Because I think that, I think that I share the same knowledge of this trope's history. I like drew a flow chart once upon <laughs> a time that we posted on, that we posted on uh, the Slash Report Twitter. Cause like, I, I hate Anon memes and I like don't do the anon meme thing. However, what I do do to my own psychological detriment is that I have a tendency, and this is back when they were running regularly. I used to read the entire SPN blindfold. Pink oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. And like, if you guys haven't heard of it, it's because it's basically became like an Ouroboros that ate its own fucking tail. But like SPN is a fandom that is like fairly infamous for being real fucked up. Like fandom in general has like its problems, but like when incest is the moral high ground in your fandom pairing options, you know that you've reached like a new stage of hell. Like we rented a backhoe, Satan found you a cellar, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the only fandom and- where it turns out that it hit RPF because your choice was incest or RPF. And suddenly people had this moral quandary that they solved yeah. by writing porn for both. Yes. And like the, even better when they do like the RPF is what it's terrible. It's so whatever. <laughs> so, but the point is that because SPN was already in this like fucking festering, like swamp of like the dirty, bad wrongness, um, the blindfold kink meme was one of like, really one of the very few kink memes where I think like people went completely banana pancakes mm-hmm. on their requests, the type of stories, like real, like you went the gamut from like weird to like weird and hot to like, Ooh, that's just hot to like, Oh, it's weird that I find this hot. <laughs> so, and also awful. There was like a huge undercurrent of awful, but I remember really distinctly the first time I ever came across ABO was in a J2 RPS fic where Jensen uh like is trying to get out of this like fucking like two horse town and they like fuck by a lake I have vague memory I like don't remember what the story is anymore because it's been so long but like that was the first time I ever came across like nodding as a concept yeah um so here here's the thing I shouldn't admit I can never remember which one's Jared and which one's Jensen <laughs> Jared is taller. I still can't ever remember which one's. Okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I read a lot of this stuff and I'm like, I don't know which one's which. Um, you don't need to know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think what happened is the collective id of fandom put together a couple of things that individually people were really into. I mean, the right. whole mating and heat cycles and you know, fucker dies and uh, sex pollen, all of that. And then Impreg, mm-hmm. which has always been a sideline in different stories and soul bonding and, you know, all, and even nodding, like all of giant cocks, like all of these things that fandom loves and it put them all together in one place so that, you know, within the, 
context of the greater trope, there is really something that appeals to everyone. There's something that everyone hates, but there's something for everyone mixed in here enough that you get sucked into it. And the next thing you know, you've read 400,000 words and (laughs) are waiting on the next part. Do you get sucked into it? Like a knot gets sucked into an Omega butthole? MK. Is it a but is it a butthole? Is it a cloaca? Like this. You know, I mean I just what do we call that, that passage? This, I knew that this fucking episode was gonna be like this, and yet I did nothing to stop this. <laughs> the only person I can blame is myself. I do have to say before we move on, like listeners, as far as we can tell, this is the origin of it. I know that in the past when we've talked about this before, there have been people who've argued that um nodding had appeared in other fandoms in other forms like i think someone cited harry potter once upon a time Mm -hmm. i think that there's a distinction to be drawn between straight up bestiality which i think has obviously existed like in other like spanish creative erotica contexts before and the specific um the specific sort of trope of alpha beta omega which i think is like fairly recent in its emergence Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, that's, that's my guess. I mean, there are probably, there are some perverts out there who know better and the Anon function is open on our ask box. So feel free to educate us. Um, but I think that your discussion, Nora, leads us really swiftly into my follow-up question, which is why is this attractive to us? Like what specific, cause I feel like, I mean, like, I don't really know that many people outside of you who are, like, balls out out there, like, I am, like, all about Alpha, Beta, Omega. But clearly there is a desire for it because there's tons of it out there. Um, well, I I think what I, I – I strangely know a lot of people who are really into it, but um, that tends to be a self-selecting fanish group. <laughs> um, like calls to like. <laughs> what, I, what I think it is is that it gives you this – instant structure it's it's very similar in fact to the sentinel and guide AUs, to the daemon AUs, to the um to the you know you have the to the set in a harry potter like wizarding world without harry potter characters you have this framework of tropes and some world building done for you but then you can adjust it to what really suits your needs and your characters and you know it avoids you having to answer if you just want to write porn you don't have to answer any questions. You don't have to justify yeah. your impreg. You don't have to come up with your fuck or die excuse. You don't have to invent a new sex pollen. It's just tag it ABO and go to town. Um, <laughs> I think in some ways a more modern version of it is the Hydra Trash Party. It's labeled Hydra Trash Party. You know what you're getting. You know what's in it. But do you know in each specific fic the level of beatings and non-con and this you know, the ratio changes, but you know what you get when you click on the tag. Right. Well, you have a rough I, idea. I, y- but you you know it's not going to be sweetness and light and kittens. I mean, You've, hide your trash party anyways. No. no. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, the the amount of uh, sugary sweet ABO in which, which turns into kid fic excuses, basically, um, still surprises me a little bit. But... <laughs> I mean, I... I feel like in so many ways, ABO is kind of, I, so the the thing about fandom is that you're always trying, like, a lot of it is rooted in subverting, like, an established text. And I think that for years and years and years, even though, you know, it, in the beginning, Slash was a subversive enough, because everything that we were seeing out there was very, like, heteronormative, and it had 
male and female protagonists. So like having two male characters being in a romantic relationship, that was the fundamental subversion. But then as fandom took off in its own directions, the slash itself became normative. And then people started looking at other ways to kind of undermine it. Um, And I think that's kind of, and what I'm getting to is I think that at some point, like having like duplicating like previously conceived heteronormative ideas where people like, get into a relationship and then like get married and have children and have all these like impulses became in some ways, I I won't, I don't say verboten, but like very blah and like Mm -hmm. very stereotypical and like very, I mean, it's like so cliche that people look down upon it, even though on a, like a level on some sort of like id hindbrain level, people fucking love that shit. There is a reason that romance novels sell as well as they do. And to me, when I see the popularity of Alpha, Beta, Omega, I'm seeing people find this subversion of a trope, this subversion of, you know, fandom, to be an excuse to write those very classical um, arcs that, like, don't feel like you're sort of allowed to do that anymore. Am I reading too much into this? It's just, like, the only thing that could come to mind because I read them and I'm like, oh, well, these people are now, like, trapped in a monogamous circle where they're going to get, like, bonded and have children. And, like, this reads so much like a fucking Regency romance novel on many arc levels that, like, I can't get over it. Well, actually, what's funny is I've been reading um, for the past couple months an ungodly number of Regency and historical romances for the first time in my adult life. And uh, they're addictive, right? <laughs> I keep finding myself wishing just a little bit that the authors would just go balls to the wall, ABO it out. I'm like, you yeah. know, the story is great, but what you need is a sideline. <laughs> you're 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 still a little too close to reality. Um, yeah, I mean, like the ABO is like a pure shot of id. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it reads to me. Well, and it's a pure shot of different ids because you can have your kid fic id, you can have your giant cock id, you can have your I want to scent everything, I want to, I'm biologically compelled to have sex with you. Like, there are so many different id points in it that it makes going back to a trope with just a straightforward trope kind of hard. Well, I have one trope when you could have like 10. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, this kind of dovetails into a question that we got from Bibliophile Pixie on Tumblr, which was, why do you think ABOs tend to be so wonderfully filthy? And I mean, I guess that it is a significant portion of that. Well, I, I think it's the point where you're writing stories with nodding, with ass babies, with all of these different... Once you've decided that that's what you're writing, you're in the no shame zone. <laughs> You are in the no shame zone and there's no point or benefit to restraint. Yeah. You know? And like that being said, before we got on this call, you brought up something where you were like, sometimes people just think too much. And that is oftentimes my dilemma with ABO as well. Where like, if I am clicking on your story. Well, I think that that is very, very true. Like you don't need to justify yourself to me. Just like go for it. You know, you labeled it what it is, go to town. And I I say this having written a lot of fake academics on the topic, but sometimes this is this great excuse. You see these stories and they're this great excuse to world build. And there's a couple hundred thousand words of like 
families and politics and all of this stuff and how this all affects. And that's wonderful. But sometimes it's just straight up porn. This is what yeah, this, exactly. this is. Oh, look, here's a scene and porn. Nope, nope, nope. Porn. And it just, you know, <laughs> it that that's really what everything is in the service of. And so sometimes trying to deeply analyze, analyze the gender dynamics or the issues of this and well, you know, but character A made sure to stock water bottles in the room before the heat and character B brought the granola bars and who like, no, this is porn. Accept it for what it is. Yeah. Glorious, um, glorious, cracky porn. <laughs> um, actually, I mean, like, this kind of dovetails nicely. We got another question on the same topic, which was, how much world building do you like to see in ABO fic? Um, you don't need any for a PWP, of course. Which, uh, but if you got stuff happening other than sex, then I always think more world building the better. I mean, you're messing with the whole concept of gender, and the effects of a different gender paradigm could be potentially vast and wide-ranging. So I have to say that my initial thought on this is I don't actually, I never want world building in an ABO fic. What? I know that there are people who, I never fucking care. Like, I don't want it. Like, this is what I mean when I say, like, I generally go into ABO and I'm like, ugh. Because people are overthinking it. Like, I, like, this is my version of, like, getting into the fandom dumpster. Like, whenever I'm reading, like, an ABO fanfic, like, I don't need you to, like, intellectually justify the exercise for me. We both know why we're here. It's like we're the perverts in the back booths of, like, a porn shop. Like, mm, just don't make eye contact. We're all here for the same fucking reason. Like, no, I, I don't, I don't, I hate a lot of the, I, that's not to say, like, I hate all of it. There have been really good stories done with world building in this, which, like, one of which I will wreck at the end of this episode. But, like, generally speaking, I don't want you guys to overthink this for me. Like, I don't need your justifications for it because I think a lot of it is reaching without – and, I like, the more you world build, the more I can disagree with and the more it cuts me out of your story. Okay, wait. But, wait. MK, please, give me your rebuttal. So here's my thing. There are two kinds of world building that you get in any fanfic, whether it's, like, ABO or not. One is they're doing it to justify the rest of what's in the story. So, like, let's say that they are ashamed that they are writing some nodding or whatever. You can tell when the world building is like, oh, I just want to write nodding. But to make it look better, I'm going to throw in all this other shit. And obviously that is boring. Like, don't don't bother. Just do it. Um, just stick it in. But... <laughs> There are other things that people have done where, like, you know how, like, there are, like, 18 variations of Sentinel AUs? There are, like, a couple different variations of realities of ABO that I really enjoy. Like, somebody came up with the idea of these, like, mating runs or, like, you know, a world where Omegas are essentially, like, a lesser class gender that have to deal with the same kind of misogyny that women do or things around, like, how is birth control? But see, this is... But this is, like, the sort of shit that I'm talking... So, like, as soon as you said, like, mating run, I was like, ugh, wolf pervert, number one. And then number <laughs> two, when you talk about, like, Omegas as, like, a lesser gender, like, a subservient gender or whatever thing, like, that is the one, like, out of all of the world building that drives me crazy, the ABO world building where the Omegas, like, live in some sort of, like, massively, like, repressed gender throwback, and the whole thing is just such a, like very ham-fisted parable for like feminism makes me want to hurl no no no. i don't like, want just, it to be like i will never i will never back button harder than when you are like trying to make a capital p point 
by making someone an Omega. Like, get out. Oh, my God. You're so 14. It's so obvious you're 14. People have done it really well, and in those, I have really enjoyed it. And I have a rec for the end of this episode that I really like that involves a little bit of that. I'll leave it at that for now. I, I have my own rec on it. In some ways, what it reminds me of is, and I, I wish, so Stargate Atlantis fandom was, you know, known for its cracked out everything, but mostly yes. everyone in fandom wrote that science fiction novel they'd always wanted to write and just called the characters John and Rodney. Like, this was that thing that they had always wanted to do, and they'd done the world building and everything. And I think that ABO taps into some of that. This is the... Let's talk about society, gender, children, all of these things, story that people have always wanted to write. And now this is the framework to drop it into. Um, I also wish, like nothing else, that Stargate Atlantis had lasted long enough to have a whole lot of ABO fic. But that's my it showing. So No, I'm with you on that. Because the world needs that. Um, And so... I love the 300,000 word stories that are really, it, the world building is primary, the nodding is secondary, but it's such a different experience from the PWPs. And it's just off-putting with this or any other trope where someone's trying to justify it in the sense, yes. not so much justify it as this could actually happen, but in the sense of, I'm not a terrible person for wanting this and here's why this has to happen when it's like, dude. Just break the sex pollen. Yeah, I mean, I think in a weird way, like, and I I think that you're phrasing it much better than I do in the sense that I, you know, like, I always welcome any good world building, like any good writing can capture anybody, but it's any world building, because so much of it, I feel, um, that I've read in ABO fandoms when it comes to world building, a lot of it feels like the author is trying to justify themselves writing this trope. And Mm -hmm. it's such a joyless, like completely transparent endeavor that like it really sucks the joy out of a lot of things it all it just reminds me of this like weird sort of dual puritanical behavior that we live in in fandom Mm -hmm. where we're all in fandom because like we are tech we're just like ladies who are writing pornography on the internet a lot like uh, if you boil down fandom to many of its essentials in certain circles like it's literally just like we're pornographers on the internet and yet at the same time there are these very carefully um curated limits to what is acceptable and if you want to bump up against those limits in any sort of effective way without being ostracized or feeling like you're going to be ostracized you have to access it in a way that like makes you feel like you're okay writing that and a lot of the world building and justification world building in abo feels like that sort of thing where it's like oh it's okay i'm doing this because um i'm making a point about something else and that's fine whereas like I mean, the shit that I'm going to read is just going to be, like, completely unashamed, like, let's go for this. It's absolute tropey hot mess. It sort of reminds me of, so, because I'm a bad daughter, I started, (laughs) wait, I'm a bad adult daughter, and I started, I sent my mother Fifty Shades of Grey. I was trolling my mother with porn. Why? She loved it. Oh, she made no. my father read it. She shared it with all her friends. Oh, she made me send her more copies because my, my father lost his copy. Right? So this goes on. And so for Christmas, I got her a bunch of ebooks. 
And, you know, there's this giant pile of files of here's some sort of torrid regencies. Here's this, here's that. And I seeded it with a whole bunch of kind of hardcore BDSM novels because I knew it was what she wanted. But I didn't want to admit that I knew it was. She didn't want to admit it was she was wanted. I didn't want to admit I knew it was what she wanted. But I know that out of this, you know, pile of books, the ones that are going to get read are the ones with some girl in ropes on the cover. And uh, you kept your plausible deniability. Or you can podcast it to the entire world. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Happy but... pre-Mother's Day. <laughs> You know, um, you're, you're, you're putting it, you're, you're hiding it amongst the noise that this is this thing I'm actually here for. And I feel bad in fandom that people do that because the rest of fandom isn't your mother. You don't have to hide that what you want is this incredibly disreputable thing. Yeah. And generally I found that like when you give in and write what you want, you are not the only person who wants to read that. You know, like, you are not alone in your secret, like, embarrassing desire to read a certain story. Like, it's the fundamental reason that MK and I write anything when we're like, oh, we can't fucking find this. I guess we're going to have to nut up and write it. Pretty much. And even, yeah, and even if, like, we've hesitated in the past because we're like, oh, Jesus, who's going to read this? Like, eventually when we post it, like, it it makes somebody other than us happy. Um, So I wish that less people felt compelled to, you know hide their hardcore BDSM in <laughs> regular romance novels, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and the joke of all of this is that I'm not actually a porn writer. I am the least erotic <laughs> writer of all time. And I think in some ways that's how I wound up writing the primer because I didn't have a whole lot of my ego tied up or my id tied up in stuff that I've shown other people because it's just right. not my writing i'm the anti-erotic writer and um so you know you can talk a lot about it when it's a little less personal than if you're the person who is presenting the stuff yourself yeah that's actually very true i mean it's something that i've i think that we talked about this long ago like many many seasons of slash report ago on um, an episode specifically about writing. I think that of the three of us on this episode, MK, I'm still like, taking the international nasty girl lead, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's right. not in question. Um, I'm not even playing. <laughs> <laughs> you say that. I thought MK might be... I thought that MK might be closer in contention, but I guess that's not true. I mean, <laughs> you've written a lot more filth than I have. I wrote, like a porn AU that I co-wrote with some other people, but you've written, like, a lot of nasty filth. <laughs> great, great. But it's really good oh, nasty please. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's, 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 that's what makes it okay. But it's, um, it's a topic that came up, which is that one of the fundamental challenges when you're writing porn that comes more to the forefront than when you're just writing regular stories is that all writers will tell you and all writers who are doing it correctly will tell you that writing is a hugely exposing process. Like regardless of whether what you're writing is uh, autobiographical, is like directly lifting out of your life, like everything that you were putting down on the page is going to be strip mined out of some of your marrow somewhere. And 
when you're talking about regular plots and maybe even like passionate romances, you don't feel it as much because a lot of people write about that sort of thing and it doesn't feel quite as intimate and personal. There's nothing like committing pen to paper when it comes to writing smut because the one thought you can never get away from and the one thought that like, I don't know that comes up that much in the reader is, um, but as a writer, you can never shake it. Even me, like I can't shake it, even though I, as a reader, I never think this is what must the person who is consuming this think of me? Like, what are they taking away from this smut about me, about my private life, about my relationships, all of that stuff. And that is like the hardest piece to put down when you're writing your pornography. Cause you're sitting there thinking like, okay, for example, MK like laughed herself sick the day that I finally posted this, but like I went on some sort of like fugue state and I wrote, I've written one ABO story ever and it was complete PWP. I did not even make an attempt to like world build. And like, I think someone called it quote, thinly veiled RPS. And I was like, I don't really know how thinly I think that veiled was me. this is. Yeah, it's not, I, I mean, like, maybe, like, an illusion netting. Like, there was not really an attempt. It was, like, the name, masquerade the fact. Yeah, but it, it was basically our Yeah, I mean, like, I, I used the movie. It was basically Kingsman, Alpha, Beta, Omega, PWP. And there's all, like, even as I was writing it, even though, like, I'm so deep into, like, gives no fucks when it comes to, like, posting and writing porn, there was definitely a moment where I was like, well, this will just give people another tick to judge me with. And there's like, it's very hard to shake that thought off. Even when I've, you know, even when I've securely fastened my international nasty girl ribbon on from previous adventure. Good times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Kingsman's actually a ser series where I'm surprised by the amount of ABO that has shown up. But apparently Eggsy and Harry have to have secret babies because else the world will not it's like, really? They're, how do you I mean, I think match this to the end of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, we match it to the end of the movie because Harry's not dead. And anyone who says that he is is wrong. Yep. That's number one. Um, and then number two, I think I, this, is, this is another one where it goes into a question that, I, that we received from an anonymous person on Tumblr where um, it, like... ABO is not, is not, well, okay, I'm just gonna read this question. I can't like paraphrase this correctly. Um, since when did ABO become all about wolf slash dog slash nodding? The Omegaverse I remember was mostly dominance dynamics with inherent doms and subs and most closer to human psychology and biology and BDSM than biologically driven animalistic sexy times. So I think that a lot of the Harry Eggsy stuff must be coming from the power dynamics of the mm -hmm. thing where well like, yeah. I think what we've seen, um, I mean, I first wrote this in 2012 and between then and now is a lot less of the werewolfing. Um, I mean, you still Thank see God. it in Teen Wolf and God knows there will always be werewolves in Teen Wolf, but you, and a lot more of mixing of the old uh, power dynamic BDSM trope universes in with it. I'm thinking of, if anyone's ever read all of the stuff uh, Xanth LJ produces, where there are these elaborate BDSM worlds where everybody, you know, Jethro Gibbs, Uber Top, and, uh, and the like, they're 
Oh, yeah, and Tony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that I've definitely read... Okay, so guys who listened to the X-Files episode last week are not going to be surprised that I totally read some of her old school um, Skinner Mulder stuff. I mean, and, she invented yeah, no, Big right. Bad Leather Daddy Skinner. And so... <laughs> Okay, she did not invent that. Well, she did, like, but brought that into my world like a golden, like a golden <laughs> I, trophy. I distinctly remember the first time round with X Files, and I remember her stuff. Really? I because okay, I, I didn't. Forever. I didn't know, but like I didn't know that she was writing contemporaneously with the show. I guess sure maybe I was just reading in like. I guess I was just reading in the wrong corners because like Mulder, Skull- Mulder Skinner was the first slash I ever read. And it was in the context of a story where I think I've told this story before. It was so ridiculous, but like, it's a story where mm, Scully was fucking Skinner for extra cash. So she could keep <laughs> up in her like suit game with Mulder who like came for money and was like wearing himself some Armani shit and couldn't like, and couldn't, like, satisfy himself with Brooks Brothers. Of course, this so, is all like, before Scully DC was... gentrified and they could still afford to live in the city. Absolutely. So there's, like, Scully was fucking Skinner for extra cash. Mulder was fucking Skinner because he's just, like, a bruised disaster of a human being. Like, whatever. Like, Skinner wanted some of that business. <laughs> and then, like, eventually Scully and Mulder are fucking. Skinner walks in on them, takes a look at the fact Mulder's, like, already in prime position. Is like, all right. Takes off his clothes and climbs on. And I remember, like, <laughs> I remember, like, tiny me is, like, reading this, like, Mulder sandwich. And I was like, I am into this. I, like, something about this is great for me. I'm usually not about sharing assistant director Skinner, but I will share him if he is going to make Mulder the meat in this sandwich. <laughs> or live your best life from, God. you know, alt Star Trek creative erotica. Back in the day, oh, good but um, good some Han Luke stuff. I that was that wasn't so much on Usenet. That was all print based, and I'm just oh, that in, was all zine based. I'm just in the generational yeah. gap where I skipped the zines and went straight to the internet. I just did it before yeah. a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough, but no, I, I see what you mean about that. But I feel I feel like to me those are two separate things, right? Like I feel like ABO is like the next generation, but it, it did not necessarily start off in the no. I, don't know, the... I think it just absorbed it. You got your chocolate and my peanut yes. butter. You got your peanut butter and my chocolate. You already got this going on. Um, let let's let's add the power dynamics as just another layer on top of it. It's a great. Ex- I mean, it lets you write. You don't even have to justify your slave fic AU. Boom. Hey, it's an ABO yeah, thing. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I don't need to explain it to you. Just read. That's right. Oh my god. Now I'm thinking about now that you've mentioned Star Wars, I'm thinking about like the old Master and Apprentice archive and oh. what that would have looked like had ABO been more of a significant factor. Do you I'm sure you read the like that sound of what recognition means. Like, oh, the can you just imagine what this well, think about what the story of Obi would have looked like in an AVO context. I MK never so... look up that story and okay, read it. It's already been written a little of it, and it's happening. I am so into Star Star Wars AVO. I can't. Exp- I didn't think this is something I would like. I didn't think I was going to get stuck in Star Wars, <laughs> and yet I'm like, yeah. You don't even have to world build hard to do that. Who knows what they do a long time ago, far, far away. It's true. <laughs> That's a different and- galaxy. <laughs> And, you know, Kylo Ren, angsty Omega, just has a, who shops at Hot Topic. I can't. He's an Omega who wants to be large and in charge. Mm Mm-hmm. I 
can't. I can't. He's okay. Great. So you just made Adam Driver one of those yappy dogs who stands on the counter because he wants to be tall. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. I watched, <laughs> and then he whittles on the carpet. You know. I watched the movie. That's oh basically what happened. Oh my god. <laughs> Terrible. Just think of I the opportunities for Han Solo ass babies. Oh my I god. Just, I hate all of you. I hate a lot of you guys a lot. <laughs> You brought this on yourself. You're the one who said we should do this episode. I, I hate people on this podcast so much, Many. Another question that we received from Story Shaped. So for ABO, I never really noticed it as a trope until the Teen Wolf fan. Teen Wolf came out after Twilight. I haven't read the Twilight books, but I've seen the movies and noticed some things in this trope that were similar to what was in the movie. How much of an impact do you think Twilight has had on the development of this trope? Also, how much do you think the Mpreg trope has led to the creation of ABO? As it was Mpreg type fix that I first noticed in ABO. There's like a lot in there. So well, let's see. Imp- tackle this in pieces. Mpreg's the easy one because it's been around yeah. forever. And for people, the I think it's probably the biggest trope recipient of the I don't have to invent something. Like I don't have to come yeah. up, you know, you don't have to touch the alien device. Uh, yeah. In this universe, ass babies just happen. Um, Correct. Correct. I mean, I mean, I, I think that that was a natural one, but I don't think Twilight hurt. I think that Twilight directly led to some of the stuff on Teen Wolf, but I think that I got the impression, at least contemporaneously, that Twilight fanfic and fandom wasn't necessarily running in the same circles that ABO has been running. Agree. I think that, I mean, like, the most famous Twilight fanfic is Fifty Shades of Grey. So I think that there's, like, a lot of still id at play. And it's like that chocolate peanut butter thing. Like, I think a lot of those dynamics kind of all just ended up in this, like, swirling vortex together. And it all gets wrapped up Mm -hmm. under the, the heading ABO, even though that means very different things, right? Like, for some people, it's not really, like, a convincing ABO story unless you have, like, full bore, like, nodding, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then others, it's really just about exploring the sort of power dynamics of the thing. I mean, the two biggest things you see people tag at ABO, and either it'll say straight out, no impreg in this universe, fair enough, or nodding just doesn't happen. Nodding nodding is actually, in some ways, the most easily disposed of portion of events. Mm -hmm. Because they're there for the soul bonding, they're there for the biochemistry they're there for whatever they're there for but nodding eh. yeah i mean the more we talk about this the more i'm interested in the fact that like you're right this is absolutely a trope that's a clearinghouse for other serious like major tropes that are out there and like it, it just in our discussion right like of the things that i love about abo is um kind of I don't like fuck or die, but I like the sort of like intensity and impetus behind it where people are just like, let's bone. I'm really into bone, like that heat and the urgency and the passion. Mm-hmm. Like, God love you guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of porn is really bland. And mostly in a lot of times, well executed ABO, we're skipping like the blandness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but the parts of it that like I also recognize that come from tropes that I don't like are things like Sentinel and Guide, because I feel like sniffing people is creepy. Like, genuinely, like, that's where that comes from for me. I'm like, I don't... You say that as somebody who, like, doesn't have the situation. 
why don't you explain the quote situation, MK? <laughs> okay, I mean, listen, I'm just saying I have a very strong sense of smell, and I can't help but go into a bathroom and be like, the people who were in here before are A, menopausal, B, pregnant, C, definitely on their period, or like D, drinking t- way too much caffeine, you need to cut back on that shit. And I can tell it from like- What the fuck? Wait, how can you smell that? What the fuck does that mean? It's just like a smell. I actually, do I not want the answer? I mean, this is horrifying. Well, I find it hilarious because I love the sentinel and guide I use, and I have almost no sense of smell. So every time in any of this ABO or sentinel and guide, people go on about, you know, their their bloodhound scenting on the wind exactly which way the criminal went and this and this and this. I'm like, I, yeah, no. Yeah, Straight I mean, fantasy like my, land for me. <laughs> like my allergies are so bad, I probably have like permanent sinus damage. So like I can't, I can't smell fucking anything. I can mm-hmm. smell like hormone imbalances or like changes in hormones and like certain things that like if your body is overloaded on something, probably I can smell it. This I have is just a like hard the world time, I live in. God. Smelling when the next door neighbors smoke box their apartment. Oh my god! Yeah, no. that's fucking incredible. Um, yeah, but so, like, there are a lot of tropes within ABO that, like, I'm not super fond of. Like, I do not like scenting. I think it's just, like, it's creepy. It's you're well, it is creepy. Me. I do like, please don't smell me. And then, like, um, and then the other thing that always used to, like, get in my ass was, um, don't take the obvious joke, MK. I uh, just bit was... it back. <sighs> Those babies um... can't be taken back. <laughs> Good. I do not have a cloaca. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One would hope. I'm reasonably sure that at this point in my life, I would know <laughs> if there was something going on. Um. Oh man, I like you completely derailed my fucking thought. <laughs> you ask a question, I need to sit in silence and think about my life for a little bit. Good. Think good. of your life. Think of your choices. Um, we did get a question from Beach Psalms who wanted to know, is ABO sort of like uke seme in anime, like as a way of transcribing and exploring gender essentialist in Slash? My second most terrible, embarrassing I've been in fandom 20 years fact is that not only can I not tell which one's Jared and which one's Jensen, I cannot remember which one's the seme and which one's the uke. The seme has all the semen is on top. <laughs> And yet, it just goes straight out of my mind every time I find out. Um, I actually thought I, the I, uke semi part there was pretty smart, right? Because, like, if you have read a bunch of doujinshi or, like, yaoi manga from back in the day, they probably had self-looping assholes because otherwise there was no real explanation for how that worked. Yaoi holes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think it is – I think there's a lot of the same approach at gender tropes, but I think it's from – and I think that some of the semi-uki stuff, definitely the alpha omega sex roles part totally hits that same id point. But I think it's coming from a slightly different cultural place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, I, I think they're both from a very des- – one is receiving and one is giving, shall we say, designated roles. But the reason for it and the culture behind it is just not – you don't get the whole trope about who's not... the tall one and who's the aggressive one and this and this and this, <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, I think the, the part that I'm sort of stuck on is this idea of, like, is it gender essentialist? I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't know that I'm 
I don't know that, like, in my secret, like, id, I want, like, someone to be, quote, the girl. I don't know. But th there is something about, like, the clarity of roles generally ascribed within um, ABO stories that is, like, I don't know if refreshing is the word, but, like, weirdly reassuring. I don't know. There's something, I feel like that is part of the attraction, but I'm not sure why it's part of the attraction. Because at least, especially when you start PWPing it, the characters just don't have to think about it. At a certain point, yeah, true. here's a biological role, and now we're going to have these sex acts, now we're going to have this, this, and this, and it doesn't necessarily change the role outside of the bedroom of these characters, but... Oh, oh, no, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's just like, this is just the way the biology, like biologically, these two puzzle pieces fit together. Yeah. It doesn't, it has no commentary on their relationship beyond what happens in this bed. Well, and you actually see a lot of, um, Sherlock fandom's got a lot of this. Half the fix have an alpha Sherlock, half the fix have an omega Sherlock. Half the fix have an alpha John, half the fix have an omega John. And so... You know, you have these two characters who start from the same place, and it's relatively even how people are writing them. And sometimes their characters have definitely been twisted. Oh, you're an Omega, and you've got this, this, and this. And in others, they're the same character. It's just that when you close that bedroom door, this is the one with the giant spurting cock. So, you know, here's an interesting thing. So I follow a bunch of um, essentially Teen Wolf porn blogs. That just write like short PWPs all the time. And one of the things that I've seen crop up a lot lately is the idea of like female alphas who have knots, but it's like internal and I don't fully understand how it works, but it is something that is like becoming more popular on that scene. That's kind of awesome. And I think the thing about female alphas is that nobody's quite sure how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard, a, I've actually heard. I've read at least two different potential interpretations for how female alphas work. Um, I've definitely, wait, no, three. Because I've definitely read one where female alphas just also had a dick. Mm -hmm. Like, they were just mm -hmm. ladies with, like, dicks and knots. There's the one, MK, that I, th I think I've, like, read one where female alphas had, like, an internal, like, I don't know if it's, like, a knot, but, like, some sort of, like, gripping process. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Cilia. Yeah. Or something. It's something... Something like that. And then the... Fresne wrote some of that. It, and then, like, the one that I remember, like, this must have happened in, like, a dark hour of the soul at, like, three in the really morning. really excited. I was just, like, reading things against my judgment. Um, but this, this was one where, like, the, the female alphas had, like, some sort of, like, almost a tentacle thing happening. Mm -hmm. Where, hmm. like, they would, like, reach out and implant the Omega. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I like honestly could not tell you. It's not a good trope anymore. if you can't put a tentacle in there somewhere. Uh, I know, agree. Mm. So, I mean, I think that that's like a really interesting one, right? How people like work around the biology of that. Well, the potential biology of that. The potential biology. I've definitely seen like a lot of interesting, I think weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, the, the little porn blogs are really the ones who are like taking the trope and extending it in like 800 directions. They're like, what if we do this? What if we do this? What if it works like this? Um, and I find yeah, that it's easier to do that when you're writing 500 words than when you're committing to 500 pages. 500 words of porn 10 times a day for like the rest of your life. Welcome to Porn Blocks. That's Good. my definition of writing hell. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
that would actually be so much easier than, like, the alternative, like, as someone has written both versions, like, that's so much easier than trying to write, like, the plot. It's, like, agony. Yes. A friend and I were talking about writing some original porn for sale on Amazon of the uh, Chuck Tingle variety of, you know, pounded in the butt by my book, pounded in the butt by my book. Mm. And naturally, I am now off this project because I went str- I got stuck on characterization. <laughs> that was your first mistake. For dinosaur porn. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Good job. Good, good job. Nice good try. Job. I tried. Gold star, you tried. You did. <laughs> Maybe you tried too hard. <laughs> well, but you just start to run with it, and the character does this, and the character does that, and it's like, oh, they never did get naked. <sighs> How are they supposed to get pounded in the butt? I know. I know. You have to that's, think more like a, a shitty dude. That's true. Yeah. Like, how would a shitty dude don't write do mediocre porn? There you go. Don't don't be that person. Be more. Be better. Be better than the shitty porn that you see on Amazon. <laughs> I want to um, write highly compensated mediocre porn. That's true. Don't we all? That's true. It, I would rather not. I just, like, it, it's one of those things where, like, if I ever published anything that was erotica, I would, I, I, like, I publish under a certain name. I would have to, like, come up with another pen name for it. Obviously. And then, like, I would go to my, I would go to my grave swearing that it was not me. <laughs> that would be a secret between me and my, like, tax preparer that that was me. Well, you know, people are actually selling ABO stories on Amazon. Yeah, I've seen that, that one. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Really? Um, I kind of feel like you have to introduce like a taste of what's out there to norms, but like only if they seek it out. Like you can't give it to them, but if they seek it out, then you can be like, there is other shit out there that you could be having as opposed to say Fifty Shades of Grey. It's just not meant to be anybody's first fandom. No, it is not. <laughs> you know, this is not what you give people to introduce them to the concept of fan fiction. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it also reminds me of like, do you guys remember like a couple of months back when Jezebel was posting about like One Direction nodding fic and like. <laughs> and it was horrifying. Oh, it was the worst. Yeah. It was the worst. Because I think that unless you have like a lot of the context around it, it just absolutely, you're right. It's the worst way to be introduced to fanfic. Like. Start them oh off gosh. with some tender, loving character A and character B One Direction, and then maybe some classic group sex fic, like from back in our NSYNC days, and then maybe, maybe the gangbang with Seven Seconds of Summer, gen. and then you work your way through the ass babies and the ABO and the BDSM universes gently. Maybe you maybe you start people off with some gen fic, some gen fic mm-hmm. that has a plot. I mean, and then like slowly trick them into the NC seventeen side of this divide. I yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> let's let's just step away from that whole dark alleyway. Ugh, okay. Last question that we had in our Tumblr inbox is from Enan Noster. Sorry, I'm I'm pronouncing that probably very incorrectly, but they ask. What are the most common variations on or subversions of ABO that you tend to see? 
Um, do you have any idea what patterns variations look like across fandoms? I think this is a really interesting question. There's a huge difference by fandom, I think, on this one. Um, Teen Wolf still has wolves. Not, yeah. not yes. always, but yes. I mean, in general, more than... Wait, Teen Wolf has AVO fanfic that doesn't have wolves in it? <laughs> like, bucket loads of it. Are you serious? <laughs> Obviously. But it's the title they of just, the show. <laughs> I know, they just discarded the justification. <laughs> what? How are you surprised that fandom was like, the show is called Teen Wolf, and we took out both teens and wolves and made it adults <laughs> without wolves? <laughs> <laughs> it was 35-year-olds boning in the fanfic from the beginning. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, how are you honestly surprised? <laughs> Go on without me leaving your side. <laughs> how much X-Files fic did you read that did not have X-Files? <laughs> it's pretty normal. Anyways, Nora. Yeah, but it would have been, but it would have been like if they had to, if I read X Files fic that had taken away the X Files, but was still mostly about aliens. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. Just... Why wouldn't you just yes. have like? Uh, don't they have an episode where they have to be like undercover married as norms? Yes. Like, why wouldn't you just write an AU about them, like, but with their normal names, like married in a house or whatever? Like, wouldn't that be right up your fucking? Yeah, alley? but they were still investigating a writing... fucking monster for the X-Files. Ridiculous domestic Mulder and Scully from day one. Like, that was the thing to get away from. Yeah. And it, no, it's fine. I'm just, like, delighted that that exists. Like, fandom, what a fucking big, beautiful, crazy diamond you are of recursive weirdness. Continue to answer this question, Nora. I apologize. Um, okay, so there are definitely trends over time. There are certain things that you see played up more in certain fandoms than other. Uh, the BDSM or power dynamics you see in certain fandoms, you see nodding in certain others. Uh, sometimes you have to go in deep if you want the Sentinel and Guide AUs and the like. Um, it really just depends on kind of the collective id of the authors. And there's no organized ABO movement. I mean, it's about as put together as Hydra Trash Party. It's a label, and you kind of know what's inside, but you got to open it to find out. I want oh, more Hydra man. Trash Party ABO, just for the record. Okay. Good good to know. You and Waldorf should just become wretched friends now. Um, what is the most interesting version of um, ABO that you've read? There's two things that I got sucked into the most. Um, I mean, there's lots of great PWP short fix that people have written and just take it as a given there's great porn um, but some of the multi hundred thousand word AUs where people really really invented these entire universes um, one of the ones I am in love with I'm always recommending to people is Heart in a Headlock uh, by Sweet and Sharp it's 300,000 words so far uh, it's her Socio Mega series it's theoretically Merlin fanfic, yes. but okay. it's a modern day college and businessman AU ABO Mormon story in which Merlin Sorry, did story. you say Mormon? No, Merlin. Okay. There are no Mormons. I did. There, somebody did write a whole bunch, uh, like a 20,000 word 
uh, Book of Mormon ABOAU. Of course. Oh, well, that's great. I was just, like, really confused for a minute. <laughs> um, I was like, more? that took a turn I did not anticipate. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay. What I love about this is they she the author really did, like, what would the world be like if people were alphas and omegas and this and that? And they have Merlin as a college professor studying ABO dynamic y kind of things. So you see him interviewing like all of these people from other fandoms, and it's something that shouldn't work, but it does and doesn't even get the main pairing together for 250,000 words. That's what fandom likes to hear. And you can't put it down um, because it just <laughs> hits so many different. It's original fiction where somebody's called Merlin and someone's called Arthur, basically, but it's great original fiction. Um, okay, very cool. The other thing I really liked, um, Hista wrote a 300,000 word, again, Sentinel Guide, ABO, AU, and a pretty sure she's the one who did the post-apocalyptic Britain kind of thing. And um, in between, I wound up kind of wishing they'd stop banging and get back to the plot. <laughs> Uh-huh. It happens. Uh, but because it was all of those tropes put together and just there's some really serious ones. There's just really good stuff out there. Um I it just what what fandom do you want and start from there. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think it's like really interesting to me the question of like I know that so ABO at this point is kind of in every fandom. But I'm always really intrigued by which fandoms seem to be, I guess, like most or like what sort of characters are most susceptible to them. And I raise this because two fandoms that I was recently in seem to be absolute hotbeds of ABO fan fiction. And the first one is um, X-Men First Class. Mm -hmm. It was the first like fandom that I was in where there was just like a ton of of Alpha, Beta, Omega. Like, previously I'd seen it, like, mostly in, like, the Hellspawn pit that is SPN Blindfold and, like, some other play, like, Supernatural fandom, essentially. Um, and then, like, when I got into X-Men First Class, it was, like, all over the place. And it was just, it seemed like a really popular way to, like, tell a lot of really interesting stories. And one of my recs is actually for an X-Men First Class fic. Um, that, so, and I sort of understand that one. Um, but the one where, like, it made immediate narrative sense to me as to why this was such a huge thing in the fandom is Hannibal. Uh-huh. Um, Hannibal is, like, a huge fandom for Aviofic. And I initially remember, so, like, I went two seasons saying that, like, I don't ship it. Like, these two, it's like a serial killer and a profiler. They have an intense relationship. It's not sexual. And then, like, I got to season three and I was like, oh, so Brian Fuller is just gonna wave some dicks in my face. All right, I guess I'm gonna get on this train now. Um, and when I went back and I started re-watching the series, like, literally from moment one that Will Graham is on the screen, I'm like, I see it now. <laughs> like, it makes total sense now and i 100 percent get why this is all over the fucking place on this ao3 tag go ahead oh well, i i think abo thrives and at least from what i've noticed in 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 fandoms where there is two characters who are the pairing where you have right. um x-men first class you have charles and eric and some other mutants nobody cares about hannibal you have will and you have hannibal 
you know, um, Sherlock. You have John Sherlock and uh, that guy who lives down the hall. Um, you know, it really – it doesn't work as well with an ensemble cast because you have – with a pairing, you flip a coin, character A is an alpha, character B is an omega. You can just world build around that. When you start talking, okay, you know, this is community. It's got seven characters. Who's the alpha? Who's the omega? Who's the beta? How do you weigh this? What does this involve for their world building? How does this affect society? It's more trouble than it's worth just to get to the trope. But if you have, I mean, even Supernatural and Supernatural RPS, the RPS has got Jared and Jensen and uh, yeah. And Supernatural, especially when this was starting, you didn't have as much as the Castile. Even then you, you have character A, character B, and an alien. You know, um, yeah, you see it with Avengers where people have written secret Omega Tony Stark or Thor comes from some place where nobody's an alpha or an Omega. A lot of like sort of Omega Loki stuff um, or alpha Loki or just Loki, but just so much Loki <laughs> or 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 Darcy's an Omega who fucks everybody. That's like in a genre of its own. and. It's a lot harder because you're trying to juggle dynamics of all of these characters and address the pairings that are canon and the pairings that want to be yeah. canon are suspected. And it just gets headache inducing. Whereas um, when you have those one or two character dynamic show, you know, these are the two important characters and don't have to think so hard about everybody else. You just get a hotbed of this. Yeah, definitely. Apparently, ABO likes monogamy. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of like, I wonder if this has happened because like, there's such a, there's such an expansion in terms of um, relationship types within fandom to start to encompass more like threesomes and polyamorous relationships. Like, do you think that, is that like the oncoming tide with ABO? I haven't seen much of it, but like, I, again, I haven't really been looking for that specifically. I mean, most of what I've read, it's people who are working with a really fairly tight uh, OTP sort of selection or OTP plus one or two. And I think there's brill – somebody's going to write a brilliant world building. And I've seen it where you have to have an alpha and a beta and an omega in the family because the betas are the ones who take care of the children or whatever. You know, you have this th – you have to have all three or – in order to actually make that work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I haven't seen that. Yeah. It mysteriously happens in fandoms where there's three characters people want to bone. Oh, mysteriously. <laughs> I don't know how this so, works in the slightest. So World building. It's a mystery. I wonder how that would work in leverage. Ooh. Ooh. Well, and see, that right? that's your thing. So leverage is actually great because you have Nate and Sophie, whatever, and then... You yeah, have the three characters exactly. people actually care about. <laughs> and, you know, you can, depending on how you want to build it, is Parker an Omega? Is Parker an Alpha? Is Parker a Beta? Is she just really weird and not an Alpha, Beta, or Omega at all? Like, I have spent no insignificant amount of time debating the ABO status of leverage characters. <laughs> it's something... Wait, so what, do, what, are your, what is your personal thinking on this? It really depends on how you want to take the trope and approach it because um, right. 
you know, do you like the idea of what do you want to do with Parker? What do you want to do? You have to decide what you don't want to do with Parker and everybody else falls into place after that. That's true. That's a good point. Um, Because it doesn't matter nearly as much about, um, oh my, Alec and Hardison. Hardison? Oh, Elliot and Elliot and Hardison. You know, once you figured out Parker, they can be whatever. Because you can art, you can true. play I, for or against trope, but you got to get her out of the way first. Yeah, she's actually the pivot point on that one. That's really interesting. Okay, yeah. now I'm going to be wondering about this for a really long time. Someone's got to write this for me because I'm totally never writing it. I'm totally never not it nose game <laughs> not it also the internet plays the nose game. Whoever loses, tell them to get in front of their fucking word processor and knock this one out for us. Post haste. Um. Okay, so MK, did we have any other questions that came in on Twitter? Uh, no. Well, none that are serious. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we got like a we got a lot of like really great like great quote great puns uh-huh. on the word not because people are awful <laughs> and they can't resist. <laughs> so we got a lot of those. But I mean, MK, did you? I mean, I've been talking a lot. Did you? I, I know that you had feelings about this. Please ask away. What? No, I feel like you've actually done a really good job. All right. Nora, was there anything else that you really wanted to cover in this before we go into um before we go into the wonderful land of recommendations? Um, no. I mean, I had I'm having a great deal of fun and I'm always ready to expound on ABO to an audience that actually cares. It's great. <laughs> actually, you know what? That's a good way to close it out. So I know that like, even as this trope becomes more and more popular, I know that there are some people who are probably still looking at this being like, why? And like, what is the attraction of it? Like, what would you say to them in terms of either explaining the attraction? Well, no, you know what? We've talked about explaining the attraction. What would you tell them to try and sell them on giving it a shot? I'm putting you on the spot here. I I come to it from a place of loving fanish crack. And there, I mean, the more cracked out an AU, the more ridiculous, the more likely you are to get me to read it. You you know, you say, oh, it's this great love story with A and B. I'm like, eh, it's this great love story in which one's a penguin and one's a flying Pegasus. And then they turn into Girl Scout cookies and this and this. I will read the fuck out of that. So ABO is, there's always something different. And there's always something interesting and it's a genuine AU. The fan fiction feels like a genuine AU in a way that sometimes fan fiction just sort of feels like an extension of the show, an extension of the book. It can be kind of dull. It's like, yeah, 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 they love each other, whatever. Um, here it's like, and here's this really cool thing that I'm doing to make it different. In my, people make it theirs. You re- get an individual, in good ABO, you get an individual stamp on a world by the author or you get porn specifically to your taste (laughs) you know equally important really if you think about it yeah it really depends on who you're wrecking this to you're not wrong (laughs) that's true you know sometimes you just it's like so i hear you like this trope i have something relevant to your interests (laughs) hey little girl the first one's free the rest are on you Mm -hmm. um it just makes me think of like crack van all over oh i miss crack van me too crack van was a good place run by good people it's people who've never heard of crack van before it was a wrecking community online journalists like 
Nora and I were not trolling the same drug dealer. Um, well, we might have so been. now that we've gone through... I mean, yes, that's true. I shouldn't rule it out so quickly. So now that we've gone through the trope and talked about it quite a bit, let's give people some suggested reading. Um, MK, do you want to go first? Yes. So the story I'm going to wreck is obviously a Teen Wolf story. Um, it is called Old Tra- Does it Does it have teens and or wolves in it? It has wolves, but no teens. Good. Yeah. Now that I know that, like, that all of those configurations are an option. That's right. Any configuration you want. Um, <laughs> it's called Old Tradition Werewolf Edition by Footloose. Um, and okay. it's, it's a college AU, I think Styles is supposed to be in grad school, I forget, but he is, like, a little older. Um, and he's an Omega, Omegas are pretty rare, and he's in a residence, and there's, like, one other Omega in his residence building, and the problem is that, like, sometimes shitty alphas from the frat house will, like, sneak into the residence, um, and be like, hey, baby, wanna fuck? And when you say no, they will just start, like, pounding on your door and being a big asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and exams are coming up and Stiles has shit to do, so Derek, who obviously lives on his floor, volunteers to, like, just step in as alpha in his life like not sexually just like to be there for him because if his scent is around um that will help like scare off these other alphas but really it is about Derek like very traditionally wooing styles without styles catching a clue and it's like wonderful and sweet and you know I really liked it the end okay um (laughs) that sounds very nice um was that your only one MK that's it you guys know where okay, the rest cool. is. Nora? Um, well, I already oh. talked about a couple of things that I was interested in, but what I, I'm not wrecking a specific story, but an author, uh, Fresney, F-R-E-S-N-E, wrote this whole series of Sherlock ABO stories. Like, they're not long, but 20 of them or so. And each, and she sort of went through the same kind of character the same thing three different sets and this one this character is an alpha and this one the character is a beta this one the character is an omega and as sort of au world building on like well this is what it looks like like this this is what it looks like like this this is what it looks like like this and how the character was sort of sculpted by their dynamic and they're hilarious and they're funny and they're kind of hot and you should totally read them um I love the Socio Omega series, Sweet and Sharp, Heart and Headlock. Lots and lots and lots of long time things. Um, insane, delicious AU upon an AU upon an <laughs> AU. And I want to recommend um, Diana Williams, DK Williams, wrote a series called The Watsons of Sawton, which is a very traditional Regency romance AU where John Watson's the Earl of Sutton and he has to get married for money and he marries Sherlock Holmes, who's this Omega. And it's an interesting look because it does take a lot of the traditional gender roles. I mean, you have the Regency structure, Sherlock's in a lot of ways, basically a miserable girl about this, but <coughs> is instead an Omega and kind of a, it's, a different sort of arranged marriage policy kind of look that is not really there for the porn as much as the, I'm going to tell this elaborate, elaborate world building story. And that's what I really like. Oh, and oh, very cool. 
my last suggestion is just for kicks. Um, any of the stuff where uh, the Avengers stuff where Darcy is involved because you get to see people make shit up and it's, it's in city. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way. It, it, it is the right. collective id of, of the author's stand in and um, her magical hearing healing vagina makes Bucky happy. What? I hadn't seen that for a while. I see. Oh, okay. Okay. It, it had to. Anyways, so my Rex. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My recommendation, you actually like stole one of mine. I was going to recommend um, one of the earliest ABO stories that I ever read was Gordian by Fresny, which is um, the one of that series of hers that I have read, which I adored. It was just such interesting, intricate um, thought behind it. But, like, none of that sort of, like, justification world building that we had talked about sort of, like, really biochemically spinning out the possibilities of this. Because one of the things that happens in Gordian is that Sherlock, because he, like, fucked himself up on drugs so much, is, like, it had long-term ramifications on his body Mm -hmm. and the way that, like, he presented in terms of his gender. Which, like, is really interesting, the way that she writes this story. So... I guess she, or like Fresny has written the story. So highly recommended. That's a two wrecker for me. Um, And the other one, the X-Men first class one that I referenced is also like sort of Game of Thrones, high fantasy um, romance novel. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. It's called White Nights, written by Spiced Piano and Tahariel. And it's a story where Charles, um, Earl Charles Xavier of Westchester is an Omega who marries the Duke, Eric Lencher, and it's part of this massive, like, political conspiracy, like, fantasy power grab story that is also, like, scorching hot, because these are two people who have immediate flaming sexual chemistry, but, like, don't know whether or not they actually trust each other, because both of them have these very divergent agendas from what they originally thought they were coming into this marriage for and what they want out of it. It's so good. Mm. It's massive novel length stuff. And like, I remember when they were posting it, I was like staying up way too late at night. Um, Like the minute a chapter dropped, I was like, ah, and just like lost the rest of the evening because I would have to like reread all of it up until then. It's so good. I love it to bits and I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, So, so good. I'm going to second that recommendation because that story was amazing and had so one good, of my right? favorite Eric's. Eric is such a great asshole in this story. <laughs> like such, oh, such a dick and so lovable. Oh, so good. So good. Um, I think that's it. That was my last recommendation. Guys, do you have any final thoughts on ABO before we wrap this up this week? It's fucking great. I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> Whether or not there are teens or there are wolves. MK still loves it. That's right. That is correct. Actually, Laura, what about you? Um, you know, it's been a couple years. I'm still into it. It's awesome. And it brings glorious, glorious crack into my day. And how much more can you ask for from fandom than that? <laughs> so true. So true. And I guess my closing thought on this, as in everything else, if it's well-written, I'm going to end up reading it. So bring it on. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's completely 
disgusting episode <laughs> of this before. We've done worse. We're so sorry. We're so sorry for everything that we said. And um, Nora is going to be really pleased to find out when she gets off this recording that MK was live tweeting a lot of this conversation. Yep. So look forward to that, buddy. Um, and we will look forward to seeing you guys next week. If you miss us during the intervals between our posting episodes, which sometimes as we have proven go on for a really long time, you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report or on Tumblr at Slash Report, even though we don't post anything there. And, um, until the next time, see you then. Bye. 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 guys my name is per- wait i fucked up this is great don't stop let's just keep going let's keep going yeah let's do it let's like let's slip in just stick it in let's just 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 the tip okay <laughs> that was so fucking weird i'm so sorry i'm like such a uh mistakes were made <laughs>